If you're not already there, turn to Exodus chapter 33. The words that we want to look at this morning are found especially in verse 18. Look at verse 18 of Exodus chapter 33. Moses says this to the Lord. Please show me your glory. This morning we continue in our study of great prayers of the Bible. Our study of what makes a prayer great. What makes a prayer something that God desires to answer. A prayer that God desires to hear. We've looked at various types of prayers. And this morning we look at a prayer that is very very special. It's the most bold request a man or a woman or a child could ever make of God because what is requested is the biggest, the most vast, the most wonderful, glorious thing that ever existed and ever will exist. It's the kind of stuff that would just consume you, blow you to smithereens if you receive the fullness of what you're asking for. And yet, Moses prays, Lord, please show me your glory. The message today is that we should pray this just like Moses did. We should pray, show me your glory. We should be praying this at all times. It's a prayer for when there is friction at work, when you have trouble with coworkers. It is a time... uh, when you are in the depths of despair and you're found in sin. Uh, It's a prayer that you should make to the Lord when you can't make things work at home with your family. It's a prayer when you're seeking the will of God and you don't know what direction to take in your life. You need to pray, show me, Lord, your glory. It's the most wonderful thing that you could ask for. It's the most wonderful thing that God could give you. And it's a good prayer because God agrees with this prayer. God desires to make his glory known. It's the ultimate aim of his existence. It's the the final, the the penultimate goal of, of God's existence. It's to enjoy himself. It's to glory in himself. It's to revel in his own holiness and his own joy, and his own splendor. We use these kind of terms for ourselves. We say that it's good to be God-centered. It's good for our lives to be God-centered, and for our church here at South Shore to be God-centered. It's good for our families to be God-centered. Well, better than this, God is God-centered. That is the ultimate God-centeredness that exists. It is in God himself. He didn't need to create anything to increase or improve on his glory. He is glorious. But it's still why he created the world. He created the world to exhibit and to exude his glory. The whole universe teems with life that explains and proclaims the splendor of him who made it. It's why we were made ourselves if each of us do not live for the glory of God, to make his glory known, to enjoy his glory, then we live for nothing. Our lives are vanity if they're not for the glory of God. So what is God's glory? God's glory is 
the essence of who he is. It makes up God. His glory is the splendor of his spirit. It's intrinsic to his nature. It's innate. You cannot separate God from his glory. God's glory has a couple forms, and we'll see both in the prayer that Moses makes and in God's interaction with him. God's glory can be invisible. It can be his intrinsic glory, and his invisible glory is the sum total of all of his attributes. You take God's mercy and God's grace and his holiness and his compassion, his justice, righteousness, you total them all together and you get God's glory. We see God's glory truly in his attributes. But God's glory can also be made manifest, and that's what's one of the most incredible things about this interaction with Moses, is that God manifests his glory. He manifests his glory visibly in a very real sense to Moses. It's what Moses sees. Moses sees the glory of God with his eyes. It's visible, and God manifests his glory as light. God's glory can also be symbolic, and uh, we see this scattered throughout the Old Testament in God's glory coming down as a pillar of cloud or as fire descending on the tent of meeting with Moses or carrying them through the wilderness. That is God's glory inhabiting that cloud or whatever it is in a symbolic sense to communicate that God's face, his presence is with the people. God's glory cannot be limited though to necessarily or primarily aesthetic beauty. It goes beyond that. God and his glory is the essence of who he is. So the question is, why aren't we praying this more? When we open up God's word, like we do this morning, when you open up God's word at, at home, when you go to the Lord in prayer, why aren't you praying more often, Lord, show me your glory? I want to demonstrate this morning that Moses made this prayer at what would, humanly speaking, seem to be the worst time to pray it. If it doesn't seem bold enough that Moses would say to the Lord, show me your glory, he makes this demand in what would seem to be the worst of times. Let me set up the situation for you. After a couple hundred years of bondage in Egypt, the Lord uh, confirms his covenant to Moses that he had already made with the patriarchs, saying that I will take you into a land, a land that is flowing with milk and honey, and where you will have peace, you will be at rest. He raises up Moses, and in this peculiar encounter at the burning bush, he says to Moses that you are my guy, you're my spokesperson to Israel and to Pharaoh, You'll speak on my behalf and you'll deliver, deliver Israel out of Egypt. And then, after this wonderful encounter, what follows is a tragic mix of, on the one hand, manifestations of God's glory, and on the other hand, human sin and depravity. The people and Moses see an incredible number of examples of God's mercy and his power and provision in delivering them through the Red Sea, in consuming Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea, in providing 
water, providing food to them in a spectacular way with manna, providing water to them once again, and then appearing and speaking to Moses on the mount called Mount Sinai. Now Moses goes up on the mountain for 40 days, this first time, and he gets the law of God. God confirms his covenant, and this is all just to communicate the, the presence of, of God with him. That's why I'm saying this. Moses comes back down from the mountain. He tells the people, repeats all the words of the covenant that God's communicated to them, and they ratify the renewed cov- covenant with a blood ceremony, and they say that we'll be obedient to every word that the Lord has spoken to you, Moses. We will obey completely. And then Moses goes up again into the mountain, and this time he meets with God again, but he gets new instructions. He gets instructions for the tabernacle, this new place of worship. And if all of this doesn't seem great enough, God's glory, his, what you can call his Shekinah glory, is manifested visibly on the mountain before the people. They see and they know that God is meeting with Moses because his glory appears in smoke and fire. Exodus 24, 17 says, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people. So the people experience all of this God's glory could hardly be more manifest to them through these experiences. If it was more, they'd be consumed. And yet, as everyone knows, we're familiar with this. While Moses is up on the mountain, the people get this great idea that they need a new God to go before them into the land. They say, we don't know what's happened of this Moses guy, but... He must have been consumed by God. They've forgotten all the promises that Moses was God's guy and that he would deliver them into the land. And they create for themselves an idol. It's the worst of sins that they could create. They make a calf of gold out of their stashes of jewelry from Egypt. Aaron makes it and he presents it to Israel and he says, these are your gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. These are your gods. Not the God who's manifesting himself on the mountain. Meanwhile, the mountain's still smoking. If there's a time where God would justly wipe Israel off the map, it would be right now. And God intends as much until Moses prays and the Lord does relent. Another example, if you were to study that passage, of the power, the effectiveness of prayer and God's response to it. Now, here's where this becomes more relevant to the passage this morning. Moses is culpable in their sin in that it's his people to lead. Aaron's actions in their idolatrous sin reflects on his leader. As much as Aaron was responsible for what he did, and as much as the people are responsible for what they did, Moses is accountable for this people, and God holds him accountable. This is what God says to him when he's, Moses is still up on the mountain, and God is announcing to Moses what is happening down on the ground. Moses isn't aware of it. And God says, go down for your people, whom you, Moses, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. 
So Moses didn't sin in that moment on the mountain. But God still identifies him with Israel's sin. So, the people have sinned in the worst way. Moses is identified with their sin. And that's in Exodus 32. One or two pages later, we get to this passage that we're looking at this morning. And Moses says, in light of all of this, that is still ongoing, it hasn't completely been resolved, Moses says, please show me your glory. And you could say, Moses, this isn't the time to be saying this. It's not the time to be asking for a revelation of God's glory. If God is going to manifest himself to you, surely you'll be consumed just as he intended to do with Israel. And he said as much. But Moses is so bold and he says, show me your glory. So we'll stop here. If Moses can pray this prayer right after they're in the midst of the most egregious sin that could be committed by anyone, that could be committed by, in particular, God's chosen people. If he can pray at that time, Lord, show me your glory, then surely we can pray this all the time. If this is seemingly the worst time for Moses to pray this prayer and God gives him the most favorable response, there's no point in time that we can't pray this. So it's true that great prayers rise out of the depths of great sin. Now right after this great sin, I'll summarize briefly. The Lord says to the people in Exodus 33, right at the beginning of the chapter, says, depart, go up from here. And I'll summarize, and he said, you go up and go into the land that I swore to you, and I will uh, eliminate all of the inhabitants of the land. I will give you the land. But, he says, I will not go with you. He gives them a promise that instead... God will send his angel with them. But his presence, his face, will not accompany them on their route into the promised land. And this is a big deal. God used to manifest his glory to Moses in a pillar of cloud, it says in uh, verse 7 and following in Exodus 33, that he used to manifest his glory in that he would come down in a pillar of cloud when Moses would go in and speak with the Lord. And he would communicate that the Lord is present there in their midst. So this would be an obvious absence if God was not to go with them along the journey into the land. Now, we're going to return to Moses' intercession. This is the main thrust of what we want to see this morning. Exodus 33, look briefly at verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you also have found favor in my sight. He says, see, Lord, you act like it's an easy thing to bring two million people through the wilderness on this journey that we don't, I don't know exactly where I'm going, 
and there are no rest stops along the way, and it's a people that's constantly complaining, and it's, it's not an easy task. And he says, Lord, who are you going to send with me? Now, we already know that the Lord has promised him that his angel would accompany him. But Moses says, no, who are you going to send with me? The angel isn't enough. He has one particular person in mind who must accompany them on their way through the wilderness. And that's God himself. In the second half of verse 12, Moses starts building his case of why the Lord must accompany, with, accompany them through the wilderness. And he starts with his credentials as God's spokesperson. He says, Lord, you've said about me, I know you by name, and you also have found favor in my sight. Verse 13. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways. He wants to know God better. He wants some manifestation of God's love and his power continuing with him as he had promised to Moses. He wants some sign that God still has his special hand of blessing on him. And he continues, consider too that this nation is your people. Verse 14, Moses, and this is really phenomenal considering all that we've seen so far, Moses gets a favorable reply from the Lord. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. God said earlier that his presence will not go with the people. But he answers Moses' prayer in the affirmative here, saying, no, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest in the land. Who would have the audacity to pray the things that Moses has prayed so far? He asked the Lord to look over the iniquity of his people, Israel, and the Lord relented from the disaster. And he's asking now, Lord, be with us, even though we have sinned against you and we don't deserve for you to accompany us through the wilderness. Be with us. And what an assurance this is to hear from the mouth of God that God said his presence will go with Moses and he will give him rest. But look at verse 15 through verse 17. Moses isn't 100% satisfied with God's response. He goes even further to know precisely what the breadth is of God's preceding assurance to him. Verse 15, And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. It's as if Lord, the, the, Moses is saying to the Lord, you promised to me, Lord, that you would be with me forever. You promised to me at, at the burning bush that you'd be with me, you'd be with my mouth. And I've seen your glory on display before Pharaoh and through the exodus from Egypt. And I've glimpsed your glory now on Mount Sinai. But you said just a moment ago that you won't be with us, that you'll send your angel with us. 
I need you, O Lord, to be with me. If you're not going to be with us, don't even bother taking us into the land because it won't be worth it if you aren't present with us. It's like he doesn't even acknowledge that this angel is relevant. He feels entitled to more than an angel, more than a proxy. He wants God himself and his presence to be manifest with him. Verse 17, And this very thing that you've spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, Please, show me your glory. Moses knows what he's asking. He doesn't know fully, but he has an understanding that he is asking for the greatest thing that could ever be asked or seemingly here demanded of God, that God would show him his glory. God had confirmed just before that Moses' previous words claiming that the Lord had said of him that I've found favor in your sight and you know me by name. So he goes for it and he prays this prayer. He had previously tasted and he had seen that the Lord was good and he wanted more of God. And the most amazing thing is how God responds to this audacious prayer that Moses makes. God doesn't say, don't you know what you're doing? You are leading a stiff-necked people who are in sin, and they will not follow my commandments, and they have broken my covenant and my statutes. Do not ask what you are asking, for if I gave that to you, I would consume you. The Lord doesn't chastise Moses. You know, he says to Moses, in essence, that you've asked wisely. You've asked a good thing of me. Verse 19 is God's response to Moses' prayer. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he says, you shall not see my face, for man cannot see me and live. The Lord affirms Moses' bold request, and he affirms our request today, right now, if we are to ask the Lord to show us his glory. God displays his tender mercy and his compassion, his graciousness with Moses in what he does next. He understands, Moses understands now that God said it to him that he can't see the face of God and live. I'm sure he already understood that. But even still, God makes a way for Moses to behold a glimpse of his glory He says this. I will make all my goodness pass before you. 
And then look further on in verse 21. The Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. God devises a plan to give Moses the most incredible view that a man or a woman wrapped still in human flesh could ever see. It's not in saying that he'll pass his glory by him, a consolation prize. God truly gives Moses a view of himself, a manifestation in reality. You don't have to move over, but looking at uh, chapter 34, verse 5 through 7, Actually, you may as well move there in your Bible. It's just a page further. We see exactly how God carries out this promise. Moses says, show me your glory, Lord. And the Lord says, this is what I will do. I will give you a glimpse of my glory. Exodus 34, verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. He's on the mountain. And proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a merci- God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And here's Moses' response. Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and he worshipped. This is one of the most unique things that we want to see this morning and how it relates to how we should be praying. Moses sees the glory of God. He hears this manifestation of God's glory in God's listing of some of his attributes, his character, and Moses bows to the earth and worships. What I want us to see is that Moses gives this fully informed worship and just following this confession of sin after he has glimpsed the glory of God. Maybe I should say that a different way. If, how often do we refrain from asking God, show me your glory, because we feel like we need to merit some, some more righteousness before God? How often do we refrain from asking God to reveal himself to us because we don't feel good enough, because we feel inadequate? That is exactly when we need to be praying, Lord, please, Show me your glory. It is when we know and see the glory of God that we can truly, and when we are most ready 
to offer confession of sin. It's not the other way around. So what exactly did Moses see? He saw a sliver of God's glory. He saw God's glory, just a glimpse of it, manifested in unapproachable light, the light that surrounds and radiates outward from God himself, blazing light. But what Moses saw was the afterglow of God's light, the afterglow of God's radiance and his delight. If God was to show himself in fullness to Moses, Moses would become a dead man. He would be consumed. Paul in 1 Timothy 6, 15, 16 says, He, speaking of God, who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. Moses saw God in a glimpse of God's glory manifested in blazing light. What Moses saw of God's glory in light is called God's back. That's how God refers to it. He's, Moses never explains this experience afterward, kind of like Paul, when Paul was caught up into heaven and he said that he saw things and heard things that cannot be told, which man cannot utter. But God shows him a glimpse of his glory. It's almost as if God's hand and his back are used to eclipse God's glory so that Moses can see it, but without being consumed. On August 21st of last year, most of you probably remember, there was a a total eclipse across the United States. And there's a path called the Path of Totality. It's only just over 100 kilometers wide. And if you're in that path, it was everywhere from Oregon down to the Carolinas, if you find yourself in that path or drive there, you can experience for up to two and a half minutes looking at the sun without protection on your eyes, just with the naked eye, you can see the sun, just a glimpse of it, without being consumed, in a sense, uh, in your retinas. Anywhere else in the country, or in Canada here, you would have damaged your eyes, but there was this glimpse, this manifestation of the glory of the sun in its splendor. The brightness is reduced to that of the moon and we can look at it. We can behold it. If God made the sun any larger, the moon any smaller, humanity would never experience this moment. But God has designed it this way. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. The brightness of God in Moses' experience was reduced to something that Moses could look at, yet still be able to see God. This encounter was life-altering for Moses. And it will be life-altering for all of us every time we pray to the Lord, show me your glory. For God forgives iniquity and sin. 
And Moses needed to hear this. Moses himself had more of God. He had more of his presence, more of his favor, more of his intimacy than anyone else on the face of the earth. He got the greatest glimpse uh, even before this experience of God's glory along the way through the wilderness and manifested on, the Mount, on Mount Sinai and manifested in the pillar of cloud descending on the tent of meeting. And Moses' people was barely removed for the, from the most egregious sin. And even considering all of this, Moses says, show me your glory. We have this opportunity now in the preaching of God's word. We have this opportunity, notably, every time we open up God's word, every time we pray, every time we are seeking God's will to say, God, show me your glory. And God is not cold. He is not waiting for you to stumble in order to condemn. He's not quickly angered. No, the Lord, the Lord, he is merciful and gracious and abounding in steadfast love and kindness to you and to thousands. And he forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. You don't have to find some merit of your own to approach the throne of grace and ask the Lord to reveal his glory to you. You can't. You will never see the glory of God unless God chooses to reveal himself to you. And what's so wonderful is that for each of us who are found in Christ, whom God has chosen to reveal himself to, God still desires to reveal himself to us. He still desires to reveal more and more of who he is and one day, we will see in the fullest sense that we can, and I don't even know completely what it means, God's glory. I like what John Piper said. He said, the best thing in all the universe is God. If he were to give you all health, the best job, the best spouse, the best computer, the best vacations, the best success in any realm, and withhold himself from you, he would hate you. And if he gives you God and nothing besides, he loves you infinitely. God wants to show you his glory. It's a prayer that he loves to answer. It's a prayer that he loves to hear on the mouths and the hearts of his people. It's a prayer that will change your life. Oh, Father, we do not have because we do not ask. We know this. It's so clear before us that you desire to reveal yourself to sinful man, that you desire to reveal yourself to people that would otherwise know nothing of your glory, that would otherwise only hear rumors, hear echoes of the glory of God. But Lord, we come before you because you have told us that you are a God willing and desiring to reveal yourself to people.
to men and women and children who are lost and depraved, found only in sin, until you pierce our hearts and reveal to us something of your glory in the face, in the powerful work of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the working continually of your Spirit. Lord, be near to us. Be intimate with us. We need you to accompany us through this life, through all of our wilderness wanderings until the point where we reach the destination that is the promised land, the glorious inheritance waiting for us, we need you to accompany us if we are to make it into this land. Continue in your faithfulness, in your kindness, in your compassion, and in your mercy toward us. Continue forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, for we continue to break covenant with you and to transgress your law. Lord, forgive us our sin. Reveal to us your glory. Lord, make us to ask this of you at all times, in all situations. When we don't know what to pray, when we find ourselves in a predicament and we don't know what to do, when we find ourselves in the depths of despair, when we find ourselves in the exact same sin every single day, would we pray, show me your glory. And Lord, answer us favorably. Show us more of who you are. Show us more of your attributes. Manifest to us your glory and your splendor. Fix our eyes on the glory to come, but even now, let us press on to you throughout the wilderness to see more of your glory. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.